Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. The section that we are going over here today is called uh, Vayechi, and that covers specifically the means he lived, and it covers Genesis chapter 47, verse 28, goes through the end of the book in chapter 50, end of Genesis. So this wraps up a section of a huge part of Genesis, goes from chapter 37 through the end of the book, through 50, and it covers this great, you could say, descent of Israel down into Mitzrayim or down into Egypt. And then when we get into the next book of Shemot or Exodus, that's going to be the rise of Israel out of Mitzrayim. So we also covered in this, uh, we covered a slight passage there in First Kings chapter 2, the kind of introduction of the handoff between David as he was about to die to his son Shlomo or, or Solomon, and you see how uh, his kingdom was firmly established, <laughs> you could say, with uh, great violence it was established. And then we also saw in John 13 the introduction of the great farewell that Messiah Yeshua was going to have with his, um, started out with the, with the 12, ended up with 11 after Yehuda Shkariot uh, left, as Yeshua said, to do what you must do, do it quickly. <laughs> and then we, we close things out with that um, beginning passage from the Apostle Peter's first letter, and the description there of who Yeshua was and what his role was, and in a role that you could say was not immediately evident, but then revealed is what Peter was getting at. And if you remember the kind of in context, Peter was there when the events of what we read in John 13 were being discussed. So it's kind of the reflection upon and the inspiration that the Spirit of God was giving through the Apostle Peter there in that first letter of what he experienced and then the full, the full meaning of what he was experiencing in that. When we take a look at these particular passages that we read through here, um, some particular items because we can either just leave them as things that happened to ancient people long ago or we can say this is something that happened as a foundation for the people of god of what heaven was doing on earth and then as we saw in the blessings that were given to these 12 sons of Jacob there in genesis chapter 49 this is something that is going for the days to come, or as it literally says, at the end of days, or the, the latter days, as it's sometimes taken, a time that is when called in the prophets the day of the Lord. And you see that at the beginning part of the book of Revelation. You know, I was in, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, or as the phrase is usually used in the prophets, on the day of the Lord. It's a possessive the Lord's day, day of the Lord, and grammatically, that's the same thing. And what you see unfold in the book of Revelation is indeed talking about the day of the Lord. And also, quite interesting, you have the 12 tribes show up again in the book of Revelation. And just like you see talked about here in chapter 49. So, some of the lessons, as we've gone through Genesis before, we can see that these lessons that are being put down as a foundation here, that's what Torah means. Torah 
is lesson or teaching. So these are teachings. You could say the encapsulated in them as we get into the end of Exodus and then get into Leviticus and then we get into numbers and then get into deuteronomy you have instructions direct instructions you call those laws you have the the commandments and then you have the um you know, judgments from that or and then you have the ordinances from those but wrapped in that you have to have a foundation for them similar to what we have in this country we have the declaration of independence what why we're doing this thing called the united states of america then after that came the constitution it's like okay you've done this thing you've laid out the principles in the declaration of independence now how do you make it work and if you recall just a slight little bit of our country's history that <laughs> how do you make it work uh we're kind of like the constitution was the second try on it first came the articles of confederation and realized ah that's not going to work well we need to have something a little bit more um concrete you might say then came the the constitution later but if we just take a look here at these three passages that we get of these handoffs here first of yaakov or jacob to his sons to Joseph and the other um, sons that he had. And then you see from the handoff to David to Solomon, and then the handoff from Yeshua to the 12, and then to the other disciples that were with him. What are some of the things and the great lessons that we get from these passages? And we'll see more of that as we actually go into some of those blessings, because when you read chapter 49, it's like, wow, it looks like great ancient poetry, but it seems kind of cryptic in there. But as you look at it, you'll see that these are really enduring sort of things that are actually lived out partly in chapter 50 with this interchange that comes between Joseph and his brothers after their father died. And... His brothers think, uh-oh, now Joseph is really going to let us have it because the father is no longer there to protect us or, or to keep uh, Joseph's wrath for selling him into slavery and ruining his life. His father is no longer around to protect us. So one of the things we see from these three particular handoffs of one generation to the next is really... You say, build a bridge and get over it. If you've, you've got something you carry, you can take it to your grave, whatever grievance you have, and so it just eats at you and just tears at you and gnaws away at you and just builds and builds and builds and builds and builds within you. And so you just lash out. We, we call those all kinds of various terms for it. Like some people say passive-aggressive, where something's bubbling up this anger or resentment within you. So it just bubbles over into either outright rage or we call passive-aggressive, where you just kind of needle at somebody and try to throw shade at them. So if you have something that is needling at you, what do you do? Get over it. And that's one of the lessons that we go through with the Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement every year. That is an appointment on God's schedule saying, all right, you've got things against other people. Other people have got things against you. Get over it. You've got to work through it, figure out what they are, get over it. Find out how you can be at one with each other atonement reconcile with each other because if you want heaven to reconcile with you then you need to reconcile with other people that's something that you see the messiah talks about matthew chapter 5 matthew chapter 18 it's like if you want heaven to reconcile with you you need to reconcile with other people 
so that there is nothing blocking your relationship with Heavenly Father above. So, continuing on here, we see that something <laughs> that's expressed in a whole lot of different places, because as we said, this, this lesson we have from Yosef's life takes up so much in Scripture because it is a kind of a foundational tool for what comes on later, but it's also a picture of what the Messiah is like. You know, the, the phrase came, became popular some time ago, you know, what would Jesus do? Well, the life of Yosef shows really a pattern of what the Messiah would be like. So when we read the Gospels, you sort of can fit that back into the same model. It's like if you are reading the Gospels and you are seeing kind of like the life of Joseph being rerun again, but in much bigger fashion because much more is going on because you have heaven coming to earth, the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. So even bigger situation. So thus you see that Yosef could have just taken revenge, but he doesn't. And David learned obedience to Shaul or Saul, King Saul. Saul tried to kill him all kinds of times. But in those particular instances, what was David's reaction? Very specifically. And he kept saying, how can I reach out my hand against God's anointed. Yes. How can I do that? God has said, this is, this is going to be the way it works. And until heaven deals with the situation, then I have to say, bend my will to the will of heaven. Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Not my will, but your will be done. And so then when you see with Yeshua, the son of David, as he's called, and very specifically the reason why, because one of the things that Solomon is told, his son, is that there, yes, your lineage will reign on the throne. And there will be one very specific one who will come from your lineage down, who will reign on the throne. And there will be a very specific great ruler that will come from that. That was foreshadowed to Solomon. And as we see in Genesis chapter 49, with the um, promise that's given to Yehuda, to Judah, his blessing is that this scepter was going to come, but only the one to whom it belongs would be coming until Shiloh comes. And we'll get to a little bit more of how that's been shown throughout time because it's not exactly evident as to where that messianic prophecy comes in just from the reading that we have here. So one of the things that then comes down to us is like, okay, with the lesson of Yosef with his brothers and with David and Solomon and with Yeshua and the apostles, thus you see the apostle Paul when he's instructing people in Romans chapter 12. He's like, hey, as far as it is up to you, live at peace with other people. So you can reconcile. Maybe the people on the other end of the situation don't want to reconcile. But just make sure that you yourself are not the reason why the situation is not getting resolved. Resolve it as much as you can on your end. And let heaven work on the heart on the other side. Because as it's instructed, it's like, well, then it's like, it's like heaping coals upon their head. Now, what is the purpose of coal? Are you asking, 
that that picture of you're thinking of like when you're going to a campfire or something like that the hot coals or if you've ever had a wood stove and you've got hot coals in there just imagine shoveling that on and then dumping it on the head of the person you're having a problem with well isn't that something you want to do you just want to get back at them to burn a hole right through their head roast you know set their hair on fire or is it the picture that you have of burning coals you get a lesson of that that imagery of burning coals is an image that you see in the prophets a lot like for example particular prophet about hey touch my mouth with a coal well from a fire ouch yes ouch is right you just reach your hand in and grab a coal yeah it's not going to go well you're going to probably need some medical attention after that but the picture that you have is just like it will burn your flesh away the picture that you have prophetically is that whatever that needs to get burned away will burn away with the coal so heaven with the coal to your lips to your tongue and this and that whatever is on your mouth that should not be there will get burned away heaven will burn that away so for the person you have a, some sort of a beef with keeping that upon their head you know even the ancients knew that the head if you uh did things to the head of somebody they don't persist so thus if heaven is dealing with the head of somebody then whatever is going on with the head of somebody will get burned away heaven will do the burning away but that is heaven's job to do so your side of the equation is don't leave reason for there to be a continuing issue reconcile for as much as you possibly can. Um, I'm sorry, Christine, did you have a, a comment or a question or something? I was just thinking head would also denote authority. Oh, yes, yeah, head or authority. Yeah, especially if you are, um, yeah, you bring up a very interesting, interesting point, is that sometimes with some of our issues, we have to realize where the source, the authority of the issue is. Because you may be dealing with somebody who is a, who would say, a minion of the problem, but not the issue itself. You know, perhaps you're dealing with somebody who is, uh, um, you know, taking something third hand, fourth hand, second hand, whatever. Maybe you need to figure out where the issue is coming from and then go and deal with it directly with the person. Which is, which is why we get this lesson as we get further on into Scripture about, um, it's called the evil tongue, Lashon Hara, is what we all call it gossip or slander, is that that can go out from one person and, quote, poison other people. Poison other people around secondhand, thirdhand, fourthhand, all the way down. So... Sometimes you may have to try to work all the way back upstream, so to speak, to find out where the, the mouth of the river is, so to speak, That's, uh, or the mouth of the effluent pipe that is spewing this out, and just say, hey, we need to deal with this. This is, this is painful. Sometimes people don't realize that their um, loose lips are sinking some serious ships out there. Maybe they don't realize it but maybe they do realize it but you just need to work at the source of an issue so that's a, a very interesting lesson that we can get from that oh yes alex uh, go ahead please yeah you've enjoyed mystified by mystified. David, um because he was you know, <laughs> yes. he was rare for kings. They'd mm. usually just kill anybody that's remotely threatening. Right. Right? I mean, why take chances? So, I mean, would you see with Joseph and um, even as uh, Jacob was describing the different tribes, you yes. know, this is almost like these personas of people um, that w would not be like, 
David, you know? Mm. I don't know, restraint's kind of, it's more than restraint. Hey, just hold up. No, it's more yes. than that. Yeah, you, you, br- you bring up a very interesting point, and we'll, we'll get to that as we get to, um, you know, to Yosef's specific blessing, but that is a very interesting um, point in insight that uh, shines a light into the, you could say, the, the future of Israel. Because sometimes you know, people think of these things as being individual chunks you know, this tribe over here does this, this tribe over there does that. Now, historically in Israel's history, you do see these particular blessings play out. But then you also can see these are also parts of a, a puzzle or like a kaleidoscope where they're all little facets of something that are coming together in part of a whole. An example that you see of this similarly is like in Revelation where you've got the, the um, vision that's given of these messages to these seven assemblies, these seven assemblies that are there in Asia. Now, historically, we can see those particular assemblies and people have come up with various ideas as to if those are messages to things happening in the time of the apostle, if those are things happening for the time of the end, if those are particular issues with the given congregation. But when we take them all as a whole, all seven messages that you see there in Revelation, what are they lessons of? We can each see how those things can be issues in our particular life or in our particular family. So you can look at those messages to that congregation and we can take it as, well, I guess we don't have that problem, so we can just disregard that whole message and warning. Or we can see it, oh, wow, that could be a problem. So if you see that problem starting to come up, then you deal with it. You perhaps may not have the issue of Laodicea or Laodicea, where you have just become lukewarm. You're not hot, you're not cold. But you should see that as a warning to say, well, really, how is my relationship and my inspiration from God? Am I hot, really on fire for God, or am I cold an adversary to god but am i then now somewhere in the middle to become indifferent to god because when you see that look lukewarm aspect you roll it back through through scripture and you'll see it warned about in the book of Devarim or deuteronomy as we get there but you also see it talked about in the prophets as a particular issue right up to the time of the exiles is that they treated the lord with indifference especially those who were supposed to be the leaders of the people and the leaders of worship so the ones that were supposed to be connecting the people and god were treating their boss with indifference i mean you imagine what happens in a company if you have a bunch of employees, especially your chief employees, that don't give a rip about what the boss says? They're like, as they say, punching a clock. They come in, they have a term for it now. Now it's called quiet quitting. Quiet quitting. They just show up, they clock in, they clock out, and you, did they actually show up and do anything today? I don't know. They. The bare minimum. You do the bare minimum to not get fired. Well, the problem is, is that when you're supposed to be connecting people with God, treating that job with indifference is a, it's a travesty for the world. You know, because you would think that, like with the hot and the cold, if you're in a company, the hot employee, boy, he gets promoted. The cold employee gets fired, but the someone who's like doing the bare minimum because it would quote cost too much to try to replace the person. So they're doing something. So 
it's really kind of painful to get rid of them, but are they really doing anything? Hmm, interesting. So one of the other things that we can get in this um, lesson here from Yaakov and David and Yeshua is about passing on this legacy. And that particular legacy is really from the people of God becoming one, or Echad. Now, we talked about in a few Torah lessons back how it's a very interesting picture that we have, is that the kingdom of God hates division and the spirit of division, that thing that pulls up within the heart of people to divide is toxic. But heaven also uses division to separate, you could say, the hot and the cold. That kind of separation, that division is helpful in there. But you still then, if you were dividing the things that are useful for the kingdom, for those things that are toxic to the kingdom, you still have the useful part that then should be a cohesive whole. Like with Israel, you should have 12 tribes that are on the same page together, all pulling together. It should be like, if you were to think of it, if you have a team of 12 horses, they're all hitched to the same wagon pulling in the same direction. Not like 12 horses tied to a wagon going in all kinds of different, 12 different directions. Then that is what? It's going to scatter. It, the wagon, so to speak, the wagon of Israel is not going to move to the destination. It's just going to get stuck. So as we kind of move on here, when we see that one of the other lessons that we have in this, and this is the lesson of Yosef and where he started out from, being rejected, being thrown down from where he was, and then being moved up as he went through slavery, we can see that who we were before doesn't have to be who we become. We can, just, we can complain about whatever lot that we've been given in life, or we can see the leading that heaven has for us, the vision of what the people of God are, and say, here I am, Lord, send me. Tell me what direction you want us to go in. So then, as we get down into uh, chapter 49 with these final blessings that we have for the 12 tribes, these 12 sons, you know, we can, we've covered them actually a year ago when we went through this section. We went through each of these things in detail. So, with that, you can see a lot of what we did just by looking up our previous study on this at halal.info slash vayehi, which is the name of the passage, dash 2021b. Um, so you'll see a lot more detail into that than we can get into today. But we're going to zero in on a couple key aspects from these particular uh, blessings. And the key things that we see to frame this is what we see at the bookends of the beginning part of this passage in 49 and the ending part of this passage in 49. So Genesis 49.1 says that Yaakov is saying that we're going to tell you what will befall you in the days to come or in the latter days, the, at the end of days, as it literally says, and when the days have reached their end. And in Genesis, uh, Genesis 49.28, it talks about that these blessings were given everyone with the blessing appropriate to him. So these are blessings that work for the whole of Israel, all 12 together, but they're also appropriate for each one of them. So as we then look at them in, in particular, just a, a couple of these that we'll zero on here today. First one of which is Reuben. Reuben. His particular blessings 
that we see it mentions in particular is because of the pride, the selfishness, and this lust for power. Because one of the things that you'll see that he did, and we saw this in a couple Torah passages back, was that it mentions in passing that you know he had relations with uh, one of the wives of his father. And then it mentions, and Yaakov heard of it. So this particular thing you'll see repeated again in, not coincidentally, whose history? Whose history? David's history. Because you'll see that one of his sons tried to usurp power by doing what? Saying he was king, but also going into his wives and showing mastery over them, thus as a overt symbol to David, saying what? I have power over you. So, a very interesting lesson that we have there. Now, the picture that we have when we talk about who you were before doesn't have to be who you become. The very interesting lesson that we get, uh, it's the, the twins of Shimon and Levi, or Simeon and Levi. They are described by one of the things that they are known for, the the sons of thunder originally we see it referred to later on the sons of thunder there's the the brothers there in the gospels who end up as apostles but the sons of thunder earlier are the two brothers shimon and levi who decided that they were going to take vengeance for what happened to their sister by the people of shechem yeah they they took incredible vengeance upon them so they were, you know, they were the judge, the jury, and the executioner on that. They took out judgment on this. Now, it's very interesting that you see the blessing is described that they will be dispersed inside of Israel. So when we get down later and we see in the Torah and it talks about the, where the apportionment of the land is going to be, Levi, they're said that they will not have a particular territory in there. They will be dispersed among the people. So there you go. There's one particular uh, fulfillment of that. But then you also see that Shimon, he gets territory, but it doesn't last when you see the historical account. And they just end up getting absorbed by, yes, by Yehuda and into the land there so they get absorbed into that so that doesn't last but the interesting thing is is that levy that turns around and we'll see it as we move on through exodus and leviticus and numbers because that particular turnaround is not only do you have levy ends up being the the, the family of the leaders, the family of the deliverer, the family that you would say is the close to the heart of God is because that's where Moshe and Aharon come out of. You have the leader, and then you have the one who becomes the high priest. And from Aharon and his descendants are the high priests. And you see that specifically listed there at the golden calf when we get to that particular place. Because where you have that great rally, you know, really who's on the Lord's side, kind of like a Mount Carmel moment, the decision between the tree of knowledge, the tree of life, choose today which way you're going to go. Choose life, choose death. So Levi rallied to their older brothers, you could say, to Aharon and to Moshe, to Aaron and Moses. And from them, it's like, okay, then you are going to do what Shimon Levi does best. 
due judgment. Which then brings the very interesting thing. They are then given the blessing of the priesthood and the high priesthood, being the ones that care for the dwelling place of God. But, and their job also to teach and to lay out what the words of God are. But one, one of the things that you also have a picture of is that, oh, yes, uh, Tammy, I'm sorry, you have your hand up before we go on further. Yeah, interesting thing I was studying earlier this week regarding Elkanah, I was studying the story of Hannah. Yes. But more, I was actually focusing on her husband. I was doing a little study and looking into that a little bit. Now, he was a Levite, but it's a little confusing in the story because it talks about him being from the tribe of Ephraim, or yes. he lived in the territory of Ephraim. But he is clearly a Levite when yes. you look into the, who he's descended from. Mm-hmm. So you have this person who, uh, is, who refers to himself as an Ephraimite, maybe even had an Ephraimite accent or whatnot, but he's clearly a Levite. So you have this juxtaposition of someone who is almost an example of how to not to assimilate. Bingo. That's one of the very interesting lessons that we have of Levi, is that they are to be the ones that are ministering, bringing people close to God. As we get into Leviticus, we'll see that with the picture that's shown of the Mishkan and the, the purpose and the role of Levi in that as priests. But one of the things that you also see is that they do not just absorb into the nations around. They are, you know, they pick up the language, the, the colloquialisms of where they are, but they still are Levi. They still are from Levi. So, oh, yes, Anne, uh, you had a comment or a question there? Yes, um, I'm trying to see where, um, where the turnaround came, because that means there was repentance. So was it Moses' plea for the people at that, at that calf, mo- calf moment, or was, it, or was the turnaround the Levites themselves that, that s- stood with Moses and Aaron is that where the repentance came that turned them around to, to receive yeah. a better blessing? I mean, of being the, you know, the oracles of, well, is that the right word? Oracles of the Lord or priests of the Lord being in the temple, being the closest to the Lord in, in a physical sense in a way, you know, because his presence would be in the temple. Because, uh, you know, we, we always say, well, we're the turnaround. We, we are to turn around and go back where we came from in repentance, and then the Lord will show us which way we are to go, you know, and, and then the, you know, the purpose of our lives will be more, more complete, we'll say. Yeah. And the, the points of the turnarounds, you, you could say, is, well, as we get into uh, Shemot and to Exodus, we'll see the beginnings of this, this turnaround. The, the turnaround being those are the family, the family of Levi through Moshe, through Aharon. Those are the ones that are, you know, respond to the call. They are called specifically to these particular roles. Now, question is, you are called to this role. Do you respond and do you stick with the call? Now, one of the things that you see later on, and we've read passages already in this Torah cycle from the prophets, that there are ones from Levi that didn't stick with that call. They didn't live up to their name because it's very interesting how you have that uh, I, the, the picture of the name Levi as being both cleaving to but also another way you can read it is you know hearts because you got lot lev for heart levi my heart so another way you could read their name is my heart well whose heart the heart of god and that is what the role of levi is is to basically to know what the heart of god is to be close to the heart of god and then do what with it? 
have it be your secret club? No, you share it. You share it even as you are dispersed among all of Israel. You share that message out. But are you going to be going back to your early days of Shimon Levi, Sons of Thunder, exacting judgment? Or are you going to be as what later is played out, where you have Aharon who grabs the censer, grabs the censer of incense, and the plague is going through the people, and he runs into the midst of this. And we see that he is there to divide between the living and the dying. To, and it says he makes atonement, he covers over with the smoke of the censer. With that picture of the role of a priest, the heart of God is to do what? To run into the midst. To be like the firefighter. Run into the fire, not away from the fire. Yeah, don't, don't be a children. Don't be running the opposite direction where your calling is. You run straight into it. So that is then what you see as a great picture and why you have this lesson in the letter to Hebrews that we have in the apostolic writings of why you see this talking of Melchizedek and the order of Melchizedek and then we have this great high priest and then comparing it and kind of like as a, uh, as a layer, you have the Aharon priesthood, but then you've got the Melchizedek priesthood, which is in operation at all times, kind of an overlay above it running all the time, even if the ability and the role for where Aaron and his sons and the people of Levi, their domain was to be sanctuary, even if that is taken away, not in service. You still have the priesthood above it, that is always operating so that you always have this way for heaven and those who are drawn to God to connect at all the time. So those are some important lessons that we have here. And also another key one to just uh, take a look at before we delve into something further is the blessing for Yehuda there in Genesis 49 verses 8 through 12. And the key things to come from that is about this scepter. Scepter, that a prophecy of the leadership was going to come through Yehuda. And we talked about in a previous Torah lesson as to where that character of the leadership came from. And that where Yehuda stepped up, he was the chief one who sent Yosef down into slavery, chief ringleader, you might say, the leader of that. But he turned that around and said, I will give up my own life, my own sons, my own lineage to do what? To protect, to protect Benjamin. And earlier with the father, their father Yaakov, First, Rubain, who was involved with, um, he tried to soften the situation with Yosef, but still was kind of still connected, sort of, to the imprisonment of Yosef. But then Yehuda also stepped up earlier with his father, and then he stepped up later with Yosef himself, who he didn't recognized at that particular point in time. So then when you see that this would be through whom it would come to whom it belongs. So you would say, well, the scepter belongs to Yehuda and to his line. But when the one who comes, who the scepter really belongs to, is the lineage of Yehuda willing to give it up to that one, to recognize the king when the king arrives, and to give up the scepter to the king when the king comes along? 
So then when we look into the blessings that come to Yosef, one of the things that you see in these section, which is a pretty long section, the blessings that come to Yosef, is that you see this very interesting description about the arrows. The arrows and the archer and this whole long uh, description of the arrows and the archer. Well, one thing to, to look at in this is specifically when it talks about, <laughs> when it talks about this um, picture of where the blessing comes from and where happy are you. Happy are you. Happy are you, which is, you know, we, we have like in the Beatitudes in, in uh, Matthew chapter 5. We say, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, really, if you're going to take that back into where you see in the Psalms, it's usually translated with ashray, which is, you could say, blessed are you, you're blessed. But more than that is really, happy are you. Happy are you who, if you are poor, happy are the poor in spirit. But the, the question that comes through is like, is it just happiness, ha, 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 ha? Or is it happiness, true happiness, even in the midst of suffering? Even in the midst of terrible things that are going on to you, you can still be happy. Because we see the, the picture that in the book of Acts where the apostles were in a dungeon, in stocks, and yet they were doing what? Singing. Singing hymns, yes. Praising God that they were in a dungeon in stocks. And when you see also that some of the pictures of what then happens, uh, see here, uh, moving on here further, that this blessing also comes through these arrows that are coming at him. Now, when you see some of the language that's talked about in this particular blessing, you would say, is this really a happy event? Something that we, we should all be just ecstatic about that arrows are coming? But it talks about that the arrow and his bow and it, his string being extended, he's holding this bow at the ready. And he even talks about this, I get this picture in this particular blessing of the quivering, his shaking of the hand. And it's similar. I don't know if you've ever done archery before. <laughs> if you've ever done archery, there's a big difference between, you know, we got the cheater bow, which is the compound bow. And then you got the, the uh, Armstrong bow, which is the, the long bow, meaning that it is, it is full tension all the way out and all the way back. But with the compound bow, if you ever had the, the pleasure of having one of those things, you know, once you pull it, it's locked until you release it. And then, whoo, got quite the, quite the uh, release on it. But with the long bow, to hold it into position is, takes a lot of strength, a lot of strength on it. And there are some historical accounts of, of uh, things that have gone wrong in history because your archers lack the strength to be at the ready, but not release. So this particular picture, then going down to Yeshua's time period, you see something very similar that plays out. Like in Luke chapter 21, verses 12 through 19, really, records this particular, uh, one particular incident where they were looking, those who had their arrows shot at Yeshua. What was the response of the Messiah? He had all kinds of power. He kept revealing it, saying, hey, he revealed it to Peter, even. Don't you think that I can call on 10,000, the armies of heaven? Even one 
of those in the armies of heaven can devastate huge armies of men. And the Messiah could call on that at any particular time. But like you see with the prophecy and the blessing that is given to Yosef, the Messiah was here with all the power of heaven, but holding back, firing. Holding back, firing back. So now you can see like at the garden when Yeshua is praying, hey, take this thing from me, but not as I will, but as you will. So it's like the will of heaven, all these arrows coming at you, but don't fire back. Don't fire back. So we see in the book of Revelation and the prophets that there will be a time when heaven, heaven says, okay, the enemies of life, that can't go on any longer. The former things have to end. But that was not what the mission of the Mashiach was. Because you see in, in John chapter 3, the great John 3.16, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And then in verse 17, what does that say? For he did not come to destroy, to judge at that particular point in time. His mission was to accept the brothers, to as we read in the previous Torah portion, to preserve life for Israel. But, you know, there's going to be, come a time when those that are attacking not just the Messiah, but really just attacking all life on earth, that that will be brought to an end. But the point is to see what is the balance? What is the, the great lesson that you have of heaven? The ways of the world is what? Look for your advantage and pursue it. Take your advantage and go after it. There's even the st strategy of perhaps not pursuing your advantage immediately, but you're still looking for it. Because you know, there's the, the great strategy of not uh, overcommitting yourself and getting yourself into a trap. But you're still looking to pursue that advantage. Well, heaven's view of it is that perhaps the best way of heaven is that the arrows are going to come at you, but to not fire back at it. There is that particular time when heaven will, quote, fire back, but it's not now. And even with talks about in the Psalms, that you see the arrows of the Lord are the sons of Israel, and that going out into the world. And you see that the physical borders of Israel expanded with Solomon and David took territory north, south, even off to the east a bit. But what then was the purpose of the nation? To what? Just expand your borders? To just get more stuff? Or was it to expand the body, expand the realm of the kingdom of God, expand the tent further? So I hope that's kind of a great picture that we have as we close out this particular book. The book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, it sets things, sets things up for the future. And as this particular blessings for the sons of um, Yaakov go, these are things that go down to the very end. But it's not just for people of ancient times way long ago. We can look at these particular blessings and say, where do these things show up in the character of the Messiah? And then also, 
where are these things then lessons for us today to take a lesson from them? So are there any last thoughts as we close out here today? Hopefully it's a, yeah, yes, Alex. Hopefully it's not just a. I'm afraid. Deb uh-oh. was talking about Shem and he taught somebody about the sacrifices and it got me to thinking they all sacrificed that region of the world. There wasn't God's early little rules before he had him to, uh, you know, before Moses. Jacob, his God, Abraham, you know, they had their God, but what, what else did they have? They knew he was their God. Well, sacrifices, no, they all did that anyway, whether you were in Egypt or wherever, Babylon, they were all sacrificed. That was just how you worshipped your God, whoever he might have been. So um, nobody really had to be taught the sacrifice there. Yeah, I mean, the point is is that people will come up with ways to worship all sorts of things, but the question is, is that are you actually worshiping the source of all things? And that's what Paul's point was when he was there at the, in, in Athens and saying, hey, uh, you guys even have a temple to the unknown God, a, an altar to an unknown God, just to make sure that you're covering all the bases. Worshiping all kinds of things. But do you really know where the source of all things is? And in the, in the world today, I mean, people just see the, um, the worship of the creator of heaven and earth as being something, one that you can add among many options out there. But when you look at the total picture of the world, is there this and that? Like when we are uh, seeing as we close out through the whole Torah cycle at the end of Deuteronomy, and it's like, you know, choice, choose life or death. Heaven wants you to choose life because why? That is all that will persist. There will come a time where heaven just says, the former things have got to go away. This pursuing after death, destruction, misery, that has got to end. That's got to end. So, yes. Um, Something that you were talking about in the ways of the wicked and heaven and wrath being poured out, I just thought of um, Psalms 14. Mm. A fool says in his heart, there is no God. (laughs) They are corrupt and their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. And the Lord looked down, and et cetera, et cetera. So um, that's something that when I watch news or I work in a corporation, a Fortune 500 corporate, and sometimes I'll just, uh, the main focus is productivity, productivity, productivity. AI is going to replace you. AI is going to replace you. And it gets to the point where you just say, yeah, you know, it is written, and um, that's been coming to me a lot, and I thought it related a little bit to, well, quite a bit to what you're saying in the blessings and stuff. It's just uh, a fool says, and all these devious plans of uh, preying on the poor or uh, subjugating or shutting down things that'll help the oppressed. Yeah, the fool says in their heart that they won't be judged. There won't be a reckoning. Yeah, and it's. It's it's really interesting you you bring up that that uh, discussion of of AI because one of the things that's talked about with this artificial intelligence and uh, machine learning basically that you can have software that will just run itself and be without any sort of uh, those over it. Um, one person who's kind of throwing a bunch of water on this idea of the that software will reach its own sentience and consciousness is that these um, these rules that the software runs by, that AI runs by, are developed by somebody. But the question is, what are the 
ethics, the morals of the person who writes those rules. Because you could say, well, the AI just did this. Well, who wrote and taught the AI? Very, it's, you know, AI is a crude example, but with people, it is somewhat similar in that, where you could just say with parents to children, what you teach the children you got to be careful because what you download to children might be how they go off and operate and the decisions and such they make. But thankfully, unlike, um, unlike AI, children then can learn and come around to their own thing and unlearn things. So, yeah, we, there have been the disastrous things that have happened with AI that has no teacher that has any sort of morals to say you were going off the path here and they've had to shut down some ai projects because they started going into some nasty and terrible directions so uh yes uh, yeah. well, just okay. keep an eye out for that yes. for us <laughs> keep yeah keep keep an eye out for that particular idea and it's just a um thing that larry always likes to remind us from the from the world of programming is that garbage in garbage out is that you feed even your technology you feed your children you feed your community you feed your culture garbage and you may just get garbage out and to be careful in what it is that you're feeding Oh, they're making all kinds of uh, things related to uh, artificial intelligence taking over the world. But the thing is, is that just like with anything, a tool can be used for good and it can be used for bad. Like the internet can be used for good and it can be used for great evil. Um, you can use, like, kind of, like, you get a picture in the prophets where it talks about that you beat your your swords into plowshares and you're talking about the same metal that and an edge on something can do great good and it can do great evil in the same hmm? oh oh for the good and for the, and for bad yes yeah that is that is a, a an interesting concept on there because uh it's it it's kind of a longer discussion, but uh, that's um, similar to what Paul advises in one of his letters when he says the law is good if it's used lawfully. Because if you take the law of God and put it to a use that it's not intended for, and one of the, the things that Paul was specifically ab addressing was um, to divide between people and say, you know, you're in the in club, you're in the out club, and you're in the out club, so we want nothing to do with you. You are lost unless you're in the in club. You are then using the law unlawfully to do something that it was not intended and ever for. Uh, sorry, Larry, did you, did you have a comment or a question? Well, you were talking about AI. <clears throat> yes. And uh, there was an old movie back in the, I think it was in the 50s, I don't know if it was Slaughterhouse-Five or one of the other ones, but the AI came up with, they said, you want you to stop all wars. So AI worked on that for a while, got in, got in contact with the Russian AI guy or machine, and they decided together, okay, well, the, who fights the wars? The humans do. Okay, well, they're pro logical problem, we get rid of all the humans. Yes. Yeah, and that's, and that's uh, something that you actually see um, being talked about in, in the world today, is that uh, you have some people who are saying that humans are the worst plague on the planet for the environment. So then we just need to off, and one person was suggesting hundreds of thousands of people a day to save the environment. Well, the thing is, is that... Uh, People can also be one of the greatest benefits for the environment to actually kind of take the admonition seriously from Genesis to say, hey, 
you know, fill the earth and subdue it. You can say it as be a master destroyer or a master gardener. Yes. Yeah, go. The epitome of logic is that one with the clock. Which one's better? The one that's a minute slow or the one that doesn't work at all? <laughs> the logic says, well, obviously the one that doesn't work at all is better because it's at least twice, twice a day it's right. <laughs> yeah. You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. Halal.info. Halal.info.